Hey guys, just a quick note before we jump into this week's episode of InStride. InStride is brought to you by RideIQ. RideIQ is a mobile app with hundreds of on-demand listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by eventing, jumper, and dressage coaches. In other words, with RideIQ, you can take a lesson from an incredible coach during any ride you'd like. No hauling and no scheduling. Whether you're looking to add structure to your rides or try new exercises or build confidence, RideIQ can help. Membership is only $29.99 per month, and every membership automatically includes a two-week free trial. Try it for yourself today by downloading the RideIQ mobile app on iPhone or Android. On today's episode of In Stride, Sinead is talking to Irish event writer and Equa Ratings co-founder Sam Watson. Sam has competed for Ireland in three World Equestrian Games, earning a team silver medal at Tryon in 2018. He also co-founded the sports data company Equa Ratings in 2015. Today, Sam and Sinead talk about using statistics as an objective way to look at progress and how Sam has used those numbers in his training. Sam talks about how Equa Ratings has helped his riding career and allowed people to be fans of the sport in new ways. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm really excited to have Sam Watson join us here today. Sam, I'm really excited for this conversation, and thanks for joining from the other side of the world. It's an absolute pleasure, Sinead. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Okay, well, I want to jump right in, and I was trying to figure out if we should start at the beginning or where we are now, and I figured we'd start somewhere in the middle. How does that sound? Yeah, I love it. That's a great place just, to start a recipe. Yeah, just, it was just a few years ago when we were in our early 20s, right? Like two or three years ago. Right? Oh, yeah. I remember it. Yeah, so vividly. <laughs> I think the first place I met you was at Tattersall's. And I think you had just come off of a pretty successful cross-country round and probably a few few beers in. And we had a mutual friend that introduced us. And and it looked to me from that situation that here's this guy, he's like up and coming rider for Ireland, everything is kind of headed in a trajectory. And it kind of seemed like it was laid out that you were going to follow the path that most riders do that they find they have some success when they're young, and then they carry on and become professional riders and trainers. Where, where was it? Where were you at that moment in time? Because I was really looking from the outside and just kind of generalizing. I mean, were you in school? Were you thinking, yes, I am going to be a professional writer? Because you somewhere along the way kind of took a hard left. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'd, I never had hopes and dreams or say dreams. I never thought like, oh, the the thing I really want to be is, is an event writer. It was in the family. My sister, Rosie, who's actually a good good friend of Isip Paris as well. Isip's kind of in between the two of us age-wise. She won't thank me for telling me, but Isip's older than me. Uh, that's important <laughs> to get on record. And why is that? Uh, yeah. So she was probably, in terms of kind of at the, at the at the teenage stage, that was the path she was going. I like, I took a bit of a, I was, I was thrown on ponies before I could walk and things like that. But yeah, once I'd left college, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, there was nothing calling. I had no vocation. Like there was no like, okay, I really want to be an analyst or I want to go to London and crunch numbers or, and I'd always found the number side of things and and I'd found certain things in school 
easy, which is for, which is fortunate. I'm terrible at languages and things like that. But yet there was nothing that I kind of wanted to do. So I was I was more riding horses, to be honest, to sort of past time and like hopefully mm. something would click but then I and I and I like I would go on record or say and I think this is what what kind of went against me for not doing too much writing in that like eight to 15 age when it, when a lot of people get going is I think that's when a lot of when people write a lot at that age and they write a lot of ponies and stuff I think you develop quite a lot of style and quite a lot of feel uh, you become being on a horse just looks second nature mm. and I think for a long time particularly in the dress fashion show jumping and probably still to this day people will look at me and go like don't copy that guy when it comes to style you know <laughs> so maybe for cross country maybe because I did like the little the bits of hunting and and dad was dad obsessed over cross country schooling like cross country <laughs> had to be horses from a young age like it was such a process the cross country was such an art and if we had a mistake at a like when I was 16 and did start riding again if I had a mistake cross country which I I did have quite frequently because I'd either forget the course or I just wouldn't kick at the right time <laughs> it would be like you're not going back to school tonight like event was on a Sunday I was meant to go back into school on a Sunday night and it was like no we're going cross country schooling tomorrow like you and he wouldn't <laughs> even ring the school and tell them why I wasn't going in. But I get in so much trouble for being a day late and we'd have to go cross-country schooling, which back then, like now, the cross-country facilities, everyone's kind of within half an hour of somewhere to go and school cross-country. Like, oh God, it's so long ago. 20 years ago, the nearest one for us would be like two hours away and it would yeah. be the longest, it'd be like going to another event and we'd have to go and uh, put the mistakes right. So it was such a process. So the cross-country was okay uh, because of this upbringing that I had. But because of my big hiatus as a kid, I never had any style. So <laughs> I, I got okay, I gotta I gotta I gotta stop here. I gotta before we carry on past this. So your dad would not you wouldn't have to go to school because you go cross country schooling. Oh don't say that like it was a pleasurable experience. <laughs> I would have rather been in school than be marshaled to this thing. Like because it would be silence. Like the, the drive home. Like we have this event up in the north, any Irish listeners, it's called Torella. And, and I live down in the south and Torella's up in the north of Ireland on a beach. And it's always at the beginning of the year because it's kind of like sandy going. But the beginning of the year, March in Ireland by the sea is not fun. Like you get battered by horizontal rain. And then so like you just get attacked by rain. And like, to be honest, I remember one Torella and there was an AB comb combination and I jumped in over it, which is like a Tracana type thing. And the wind was blowing so hard that like I had no chance of making B. I mean, half people had withdrawn. There weren't many people jumping. But I was like, OK, there goes the fence. And it's not to do with me. It's just there's wind carrying me off course. So that was one of the reasons for the run out. So then I, I came back and like it was literally like a physical battle with the wind going around. And then then I was just met with this deathly silence from my dad for three and a half hours driving home just complete silence being like this is so disappointing what a waste of our time I don't know <laughs> it's just so bad for the horse to have learned this habit it's like it's not a habit surely it only happened once oh if you ride like that it'll happen again we need to put this right I so, guess anyway. your dad wasn't reading any like parenting books it was just like all oh. about the horses <laughs> I, I I say that uh which I which I learned a lot about growth and and development is is all about the balance of stress and recovery. Uh, so you got to push yourself, you got to get out of the comfort zone, and then you got to recover. So whatever you're doing, business, running, 
sport, whatever. Dad was my stress. Mom was my recovery. (laughs) So he would push me, push me out of the comfort zone. Uh, Mom would put me back together again. I'd be having cuddles and balls of tears at the age of 25. (laughs) (laughs) Last year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 35 too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So when you, so you rode ponies and then you decided you didn't want to ride. So you took a break. Mm, pretty much. I, I kind of kept my foot in with Pony Club Camp occasionally because I was the only guy my age. So that was always like, yeah, ladies. That was, yeah. And there was a there was a there was a point in the teenage years where that sort of became interesting. So yeah. I was like, OK, I'll, I'll do that week. Then I've never platted a horse. I've never I've never put a plat in. So there is a test. I don't like I think I have my C test or something. I think this is about as far as I got mm. with with regards to Pony Club tests. I don't know how it works in the States, but in Pony Club, you have to do these exams my exams are I, I didn't get very far at all and the last one I did it was getting serious and you had to do a plat in a horse's mane or a braid as as you guys would call it on your side of the water so I've never done the braiding bit and um the person testing us got called out uh kind of halfway through and we were nowhere near braid the braiding stage we were like doing tail bandages or something but anyway, I said to one of the other girls, I was like, please, can you just put a, a, a plat in the horse's mane? And I'm going to tell her when she came, comes back in that I just went ahead and did it, showed some initiative. And that's what I did. I was like, oh, Mrs. Dooley, I've done the, the plat uh, already. And she's like, oh, that's lovely, Sam. Well done. That's good. You don't have to do that now. I was like, yes, it worked. <laughs> so I've never actually done that. So no. some people will think I'm an awful human being to not do that. But Just taking advantage of the system. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which one has to do to succeed. I get it. Yeah, there we go. But then I, do you know what I do you know what I'd say I think the turning point was I was 21 <clears throat> and we had horseware Bushman who was we'd we'd bred. He was a homebred and he, he was actually only seven the year of, of, of my 21 year old year. And I'm my birthday is the 28th of December. So this was my last year in Young Riders, the, the under 21s over here. And he was seven and he hadn't done, he'd shown very little promise really as a six-year-old. So like we couldn't get, we got eliminated to go and around novices, which is over really? here again. Oh yeah. Preliminaries. I mean, partly because I was writing him, the poor guy. <laughs> but as a seven-year-old, we gave it a lash as they say over here. And the beauty of being Ireland, and this has definitely been fortunate for me. Like I really recognize this. Um, I've been to 11 senior championships, but mm-hmm. that's because I'm Irish. But like, it, I, if I was English, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been to a senior. I won't have a senior, a seri- a, one mm-hmm. championship. But you've got, a, you've got, like, those are opportunities. And, and as much as the, if, yeah, no, that's not good to kind of do myself down too much. Uh, I recognize it. I'm not mm-hmm. pretending to be that I'm, that I'm one of the, I don't think I'm better than I am. I, I know where I, I know where I stand. I'm pretty analytical about the whole thing, but I enjoy it. I've given it, I've given it a right old go. And and that that under 21 year, I finished fourth in the rain at the European Championships. But finishing fourth individually at a championship is a very powerful place to finish because you just missed the medals. I missed it by 0.1. Mm. Uh, the silver by 0.8, I think. And that'll that'll drive you. That'll spur yeah. you on. Well, it did for me anyway. Like I think if I had actually, I think if I actually won a medal there, there's probably a good chance I wouldn't have kept going. And really? obviously, if I'd done really badly, I think that'd have been. Yeah, I think if I'd, ha- I think it was. I think I needed to be. I like. I've learned over over. In a lot of things I've done, that near like failure, but 
just just kind of because you're not really mm. like if you're fourth it's not a failure but it's not everything it's not like I hit the jackpot I mm -hmm. find I perform much better when it's like it's gone okay but you could have done a bit better yeah and I think that's what really drives so then I try and figure it out I was like god I was close what do I need to do to to be better and that's that's what I love figuring out and that's the journey I love going on so then you carried on down the riding path I mean strictly mm. riding and and when did you decide to start something alongside that? When did, when did the ECRO rating start? And was there something before that? I mean, anything you read about business or any venture, there tends to be a few fails before a, a win. Where did, where did that story start? My first business started uh, when I was 13 <laughs> and it was an illegal gambling operation. Uh, I, made, I made my own version of the roulette wheel that you see yeah like a roulette table where you get to bet on numbers so I had my own little number betting game that I used to play at school and actually there were two people who 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 bought that business crumbling to its knees one and I survived this guy but it was a guy called Dermot Byrne who is now my best friend and business partner but he figured out so the, the way I did the numbers is is like I didn't have any like high technology so I had to write a number on a piece of paper roll it up and put it into a tub so then people would pick out a number between 1 and 32 but he rolled them up in a special way so he knew which number he was pulling out so he'd lose his first bet but roll the thing up and then when I shook it he had folded it in a way that he recognized it so then he knew what that number was and then so he made like he, he made a good like 50 quid off me which was <laughs> half of my turnover and I made about another 50 quid off another, like, but I, I had to work so hard. Like I had to get a, like 50 quid between about 20 other people. So he was profiting. And then my, then the teacher found out that this illegal gambling was happening and he made me give all the money to charity. So actually Darren was the one who really won because his winnings were his own. He got to keep yeah. his winnings. I didn't get to yeah. keep mine. So we're now in business together, but that, that kind of shows my, I, I've always loved like, when people doodle and do draw things and whatever I, I don't I just write down numbers in like hmm. different ways and I and I I would just always like that any of those things like sudokus and stuff like that which isn't really arithmetic it's logic but it's still I enjoy that kind of stuff and I guess I enjoy like I'm a procrastinator I'm not a if I can find a way to avoid hard work I will, although I've really learned to to enjoy. So like I'm more the, the kind of thinker side, the creative side of things. Mm. Uh, to be honest, now, like I would love to, now that I understand eventing a good bit more mm. and what it takes to be successful, like there was a, definitely a point in my career where I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just not as good as, uh, which is a, clearly the case, but I'm not as good as Michael Young or William Fox Pitt. These people are gods and these people are blessed with something that I don't have without sounding like eventing is absolutely a growth sport it's not like i don't believe that anyone is born a brilliant event right like you develop it and obviously you develop a lot of like you see the wonder kids coming through and like those child prodigies coming through like they're generally usually riding a lot of work so they're spending a lot of time in the saddle they're developing these skills like whether it's at six seven eight nine ten or whatever but they're developing that a bit. that's why they looked good on a horse and i didn't what i've learned now at this stage is i think if you wanted to be i think and I don't say this in, a, in any kind of a condescending way about Tim Price, but when Tim came to the UK, same with Janelle, like they had to work their way up. Like Tim was riding around, break, like he was kind of had a reputation of like, I'll oh, send him breakers, send him difficult horses. He's a good nagsman. And you look at his record, you look at both of their records starting out at five star, 
like they were starting mid table. They were sometimes not finishing. They were having problems in, like they were having penalties and jumping cross. Like they have worked their way up and they have really applied themselves and that you got to train. You, yes, you got to train hard and work hard, but you got to train smart. And that's what you just got to do. You just got to keep repeating and applying yourself and, and, and working out how to solve the problem. And I believe that anyone can do that in event in, mm-hmm. in a, especially a sport like eventing. But I probably prefer to to kind of be a bit more creative and find other problems and challenges to solve, which is why I then started Echo Ratings, which has become the kind of number crunching company in the sport. And we and we 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 do lots of different things, which are all I, I find them all interesting. Did was there was there just when you kind of were sitting there like how can I get better? And there was a lack of information. Is that kind of what inspired you to start this? Yeah, so my I I had two uh, like really quite you, I can kind of laugh and joke about them, but at the time they genuinely were tough. So my sh- uh, my show jumping round, uh, I can now make it three. But my first show jumping round at the 2010 World Championships, Ireland had moved up to uh, sixth place. The top six teams qualify for the Olympic Games, which would be in London, which was a big deal for us. Well, it was a big deal for loads of of countries, but for Ireland, like Ireland is never going to host the Olympics. England is as close as we'll get to a home Olympic. I was young enough. Like I was, this wasn't far, like I'd be about 24, 25. And like it had gone well, like I'd done a 46 dressage, old old scoring. That's that's not too bad. A, a, A good, tidy, clear cross country round. So I was the best of our team, which meant I was last to go. And actually, Jeff Curran, who is an absolutely beautiful rider, so stylish, so, so good. But he had a pretty careless horse at the time in the jump jet. And I think they had five rails down. And that was a lot of our cushion gone. And I think I could only, mm-hmm. I think I could afford one rail, but not two. And I went in and had four. Mm-hmm. And even though I had four and Jeff had five, I had four ugly, riding ugly, and it looked ugly. And it was the round that cost it. We were out now. And I was last to go and everything. And it just... I just fully felt like I had lost us the qualification and I'd done it. I was embarrassed with how I had ridden. I was disappointed with the result because it was a team thing because it was Ireland's place. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't a Sam thing. It was an Ireland thing. It was way bigger than me. Like all the press that was there. You know, I think it had, it had come out on the, the news over here in Ireland the night before that Ireland were now in an Olympic had moved up to sixth place, which means they could qualify. And then, they dropped out so like it was like oh god so that was hard but I was young enough that I would then keep going and went to another European championships the next year had the disappointment of not being picked for London which and and I remember Sinead seeing you at Burley just putting in like a, a, a real inspiring performance for me your 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 dressage and show jumping and putting yourself in that position you'll probably be disappointed with the thinking back about the show jumping yeah I thought I'd just get that in and, and remind everyone. <laughs> that, I'm not alone. We've, we've you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm like, I know you're just talking about that round and I can like feel it in my soul. You're like, I'm young. I got over it. I'm like, no, that's trauma, buddy. <laughs> like, that's that sticks with you for a little while. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you were you were putting yourself in a position to to win Burley. I mean, to, to go down in the history books and get quoted by Echo Ratings on podcasts for another 20 years to come or 50 years to come. It does stick with you though. But and particularly in that jumping phase, it, it because it's the final phase, it does stick with you. I think when people 
one of the things I really pride myself on, I think I, like I've completed every four and five star long format cross country that I've, that I've done in the last 13 years or something like, and I know from the stats that that's an outlier thing, but surviving cross country and not having, it's not glamorous. I've not, I've had, I've had penalties. Like I had the pin in Tokyo. I've had 20 penalties with like with Bushman. I had a couple on at inconvenient moments early actually was one of them but surviving the getting that job done it's still a, it's still a thing you got to do you got to get around your cross countries but sometimes that is if, if that's where it goes wrong for you of course it's disappointing but it sometimes gets brushed off as kind of bad luck and that's part of the punches of the sport and you'll pick yourself up and it's good when you lose it in the jumping mm-hmm. it's like oh it's mm-hmm. it's it's tough it was right there and then it wasn't and there's something about eventing we so celebrate like it nearly feels like we've done it on on Friday on Saturday yeah. night and then it's like you got to wake up and go in on Sunday and be like oh geez I've got to finish the job now so it's mm. painful when you don't when when it happened again to me in Normandy in 2014 that's why I started decoratings because I had in the four years in between Kentucky and and Normandy I obviously had trained a lot I had improved a lot I felt it and my and my results would 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 show that it was getting better but it wasn't good enough and when I went back in it just felt like hang on like I was I was um I didn't have any evidence or proof I was just like how has this just happened again mm-hmm. and how and like I've nothing to show for the last four years like I'm just the same person I was four years ago and that's when I started looking for kind of like metrics or some kind of something that was objective to say look Sam this is where you are now and if you train and you improve, I needed to see myself moving. I couldn't just live in this kind of fluid space of sometimes it'll go well, sometimes it won't. That wasn't structured enough for me. I couldn't, there was no system there for me. So mm-hmm. I needed to go, okay, where's William Fox pit at? Like he would jump clear. He jumps clear around 65% of the time. The, the average clear rate in the sport is around 30%. So he's over twice the average. I was down at about 15, 20%. So I was like, okay, that's why it's happening. Mm-hmm. You've jumped the odd clear round, but don't, you know, so, so then, but then once I, so once I started doing the analysis and the stats, that really drove me. So yes, now I was training, but I was training with more purpose. I was training with a goal. And then I was getting validation that my training system was working because my metrics were moving in the right direction. So actually in like between 2015, 2016, my four star clear rates got up to 75%. And I was up there with kid. I was up there with the, I mean, I, I, I short format, I had the best clear rate in the world for a two year period. Why? So, um, and then how did you, what did you change? Because obviously there, there is this gray area. You're like, okay, the show jumping is an issue. But then once this, the data backed that up and the show jumping is an issue, what, how did that change your training regime? Like, what did you do? It, it gave me way more. So people don't, I'll, I'll tell you what I did in a second. But firstly, the power of seeing yourself on paper, proof, not just a feeling. Like we mm-hmm. all know, oh, we could all do better. We could all do, oh, I'm a little overweight. I'd like to lose a little, little yeah. bit of weight. Get on the weighing scales and actually go, okay, that's my number. Now I have to prove, and it's the, it's the evidence. And it's the same in sales. Like sales people have been doing this for ages. This is, companies do this. And it's, kind of to the detriment sometimes of of your mental well-being you've got to be careful as to how much you use this but like hitting people with numbers all the time is incredibly motivating because it's just mm. factual and real and your brain just goes okay that's real this isn't a feeling anymore there's no fuzziness there's no gray area that's where you are so as much as we all think we're trying as hard as we can all the time 
with unless you measure it like i always say how people run faster is good training good shoes good nutrition good recovery why they run faster is the stopwatch they mm-hmm. know what they're running if they if it's 100 meters they're running it in 10 seconds they want to be 9.99 it, whatever it is so it's it's the objective evidence is is to what pushes you up a gear what i actually did and i did this kind of by talking with my coach i was like why do you think I made that mistake where I nearly fell off in the arena and the horse stopped in Normandy? And he said, Sam, it wasn't that bad, but you were a little off it. And for that horse on the last day, mm. you have to be so accurate with him. And you were just a little bit too far off. And on the then then you overcompensated and you got too close on the last two, which is why you had the last two fences down. So it, what was nearly a clear round suddenly became a car crash because I'd once been too far off and then been too close. And it was accuracy. So I was like, okay, I've got to get more accurate. So I started doing canter poles on a related distance so I could get feedback that if I would, particularly if I was screwing up the second distance, it was like, okay, why'd you get too close? And now you, you know the four strides, you have the feel for the four strides or six strides, whatever it is, you, you're giving yourself feedback. It's like the golfers putting with the balls. Did you miss left? Mm-hmm. Did you miss right? Whether to go a little more open with the canter or close the canter a little bit more. It's for me, the canter poles on the related distance are purposeful practice for your eye. And at that stage like when i'm teaching young people i tend to not focus on their eye too much particularly for cross country i think you've got other things that are more important but there becomes a level once you want to start jumping safely uh, for cross country and accurately for show jumping at a high level at four star five star you need to you need to be accurate i don't think mm. you can you can't just gallop at fences and hope that your your horse does all the work for you particularly not at speed so that's what I changed on it. And it was the counterpoles. And it was, it was hundred, like I had about six to eight horses in the yard and there would be counterpoles. Like I would, I would jump about a thousand counterpoles a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'm terrible with numbers, but I often talk about when I'm teaching something very similar that just the the percentages when you're at the lower levels for the accuracy for the jumping questions like your bubble of what's appropriate is is bigger when you're jumping smaller fences or if you're jumping a greener horse that specific accuracy question or the distance jumping a jump it's just a bigger bubble and as the level goes up your need for accuracy that bubble gets tighter and tighter like the difference between being on walking across a table and walking across a a tightrope like you have to be that accurate that amount of the time it doesn't have to be perfect but it has to be pretty damn accurate when you're at that level of mastery that it takes to be at the championship level um it's there's this book i can't remember what it's called it's about a astronaut <laughs> and uh, really useful for listeners to go they can go and read that now that's great yeah yeah it's a book on astronauts that like, go to the moon it's I'll, I'll find out what it is i've talked about it before but what i i think it's called sweat the small stuff sweat the small things but he, anyway i thought it would be really cool because what he talked about was that they just run these drills all the time right like basically you get in and you do these drills and you die because you explode because you do something and then you go again and then you go again and then you go again and it's like if they got in and got flustered or upset or disappointed or like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I just exploded this dr- this in this drill. They'd never get better. They'd never get to the point where they're, where he was ready to go to the moon, which he, he ultimately did. But it, talking about your canter poles and that type of thing, I tell myself this and my students, it's like, 
these things are drills, they're drills, they're drills. And until those drills, until you can get through all those accuracy questions and you don't have to be perfect, but your percentage has to be pretty high. Like don't, don't blow up the rocket or you're not going mm. to that level then. But it's, it's hard to get back to that basic level and understanding of the accuracy part of it, where it really is for, for the championship level yet to hold yourself accountable for that. Because like you said, I think it's like, oh, I missed or it wasn't a great round or I've got to work on my show jumping. But when you were able to go back and really look at the detail of the difference between a half a foot can make a really mm-hmm. big difference. It's it's kind of wild. Mate, yeah. And your margin for error, like it's, yeah, I, I guess a lot of people talk about that, mar- that margin for error as well. That again, mm-hmm. with horse, horse's ability can Im- impact that. So sometimes we say yeah. that the horse isn't a great jumper, but you know, Michael Young has won an awful lot on... I would say both Fisher Akana and Libiocidic Sam aren't the best mm-hmm. jumpers. Like Sam in particular, horses I admire so much. But he his skill and his mastery helped them to achieve a great deal yeah. as well by by reducing that. And but eventing is everything. You, you then you have to realize that it's also it's not black and white. So it isn't just because Lucinda Green, if she would if she was listening to this, she'd be like, oh, stop going on about yeah. accuracy all the time. It's footwork. It's mm. both. So I and and I have like from my show jumping, I've trained my accuracy somewhat. Being able to being able to like if you can see from four or five strides away that that it, it's going to be more helpful to this horse to actually be a foot further off that fence, you just have to adjust your count by three inches on the next mm-hmm. four strikes. So it's seamless. Like it's, it's, they're hardly going to feel that they're not going to be, they're not going to, their counter is not going to be crushed. You're not suddenly pulling the reins last minute going, Oh my God. And disrupting them. It's just so smooth. So that's the advantage of accuracy. Same if you need to meet a little bit of, mm-hmm. get it, get a little bit of it, get closer to the fence. You're not suddenly kicking on the last stride and flattening the stride and doing all that. So it's all yeah. obvious stuff, but, but that's why it works. Now cross country it, to a table in the middle of the field, that still that same logic still applies. And actually, what's more frightening about that? And these are the dangerous fences. These are the fences where you can, where a horse can really, if you if you get it wrong, uh, and the reason it can be more wrong is the can the horse's canter stride is now about five meters rather than three point eight or mm-hmm. five yards rather than four yards, because you're because the canter is much more open. So the margin for error now, if you're half a stride off, it's 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 much harder for that. The horse can be a lot more wrong because the stride is longer and the fence doesn't move if you get it wrong. So that's where accuracy helps you. But with all the tricky questions, with the ups and downs, the horse's ability to a the horse also has a pair of eyes. I do a lot of loose jumping with the horses. They should be able to put themselves right a little bit. Don't hundred percent rely on it, but it should definitely be. A, it's a massive part of the the toolbox but they should also then have the agility and and they should be practiced at at being quick-footed and that's mm. actually more important for when you're coming out of like a in kentucky that rail ditch rail combination which is really steep and stuff like that we mm. don't know we don't know if like some horses are going to launch in there some horses are going to pop in there and that means sometimes you could have two strides coming out some strides you, sometimes you could have one stride coming out and you just you and you, you so want when i was younger when i was in my 20s I wanted to know what's plan A. Like I remember my mm-hmm. first badminton. Everyone said, what are you doing at fence five? Is it five strides? Is it six strides? Five strides, six strides. We were obsessing about it. And everyone was like, okay, no, five strides, five strides. We're all doing five. And, but everyone was asking each other, is it five or six? Is it five or six? 
Then William went out first on Macchiato and he did six strides. And everyone in the tent went, it's six, it's six, it's six. Tell everyone it's six. It's <laughs> Macchiato six. has the tiniest little step. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but like even still, like now I'd watch it, I just wouldn't, I'd just be like, mm. jump in and decide, like it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll come up. And, and your horses sometimes want to put themselves right and stuff. So there, there's, an, there's an art to, you've got to do both. You've got to have the accuracy, but you've got to train that footwork too. Yeah. And then there's that, I kind of, I think you brought it up that the after cross country, you feel like, yeah, you can just take a deep breath if it's gone well and you kind of let down and then it's hard to get yourself back up to that level. Even when you feel like you're going in, in a pressurized situation. I mean, I think some of the best rounds I've had were that the cross country scared me just enough, but it was still within my wheelhouse, but I was so hyper-focused because I was just getting pushed enough. And then to on a third day after you've been there at a competition for however many days to get your focus as in the right place. And everybody's a little different about whether they need to take a nap or whether they need to go for a run about where to get your focus so you can be that accurate. I mean, that that's a skill in itself is to keep that level of, yeah, just not to be so exhausted that you can't keep your focus where you need to on that final final day. Yeah, and, and I think to be able to adapt, like it, it caught me a little bit off guard. Like I think I went so, <clears throat> and strangely enough, when I started decorating is because I was, I was obviously busy with decoratings and they were late nights and we had two small mm. kids as well. But my, probably the period I was, I was writing the best was in around that 2015 to 2018. And I probably got a, 2018 was being a success as I kind of said at the beginning of the show, I think I actually perform best when I just miss success, when I get mm. when I get close. It's the same with the company. I think Ecoratings had a couple of really good years as well. And I think we probably got a little bit complacent. And and that's probably one of my weaknesses is I would get complacent. And definitely last year, there were a variety of reasons. Like our our high performance program over here last year was it's it's there was no system, the whole thing. And and I think our I would kind of but it's it's I, I our 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 high performance program was in an incredibly good place. It was it's the best system I've be, ever been a, a part of in around that 2018 period. Obviously, COVID was was tough for everybody, but last year nothing happened, and I relied quite heavily on that because I'm running a a, a business as well on the side. Like I needed those team trainings and things like that. Like that was giving me a lot of structure. Uh, I lost that, and I was definitely out of practice when i went to the world games last mm -hmm. year for this and it was more for the show jumping that if it had gone smoothly i jumped a really good round of show jumping with that horse at mill street two three weeks before because everything was routine everything was going to mm -hmm. plan we'd been to mill street before i knew mill street the horse knew mill street nothing was different i went into pertoni and all that happened was the first clear round of pertoni remember it was that monster show jumping round. it was really oh, yeah. the first clear round, like there were like 40 five people had jumped and there was still no clear round yeah, the first the first clear happened it was actually Susie Berry but like two horses before I went in and it was the biggest cheer and the horse just had never like he was only 10 he'd never heard that kind of noise before and he completely froze oh, and I just kind of froze with it, my react I didn't freeze and go but I didn't I was like oh god what now what I do like I was just Whereas I think if you've been in the ring plenty, particularly into more atmosphere, you adapt with those things better. And mm. that's what you're, you can't really, can't prepare for some of, like you can't prepare to be in the lead at, 
at Burley and whatever. I'm not, I'm, yeah. but I, that's, that's something you've been in. I just got to bring it up again. No, but, and, it, and it's a, but that again, that those Let's are go back to 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What you pick your year, Sinead. 10, 14, 22, pick a year. Yeah. There's plenty of them. It, it's there, like we're, it's amazing to be in those situations, to mm. be at world championships, to be winning, to be, to be in those situations. But you can't, uh, that's that mental strength that you talk about. You can't, uh, you can't practice that. You just have yeah. to prepare for it. And that's, that's kind of the, that's the fun. And that's the enjoyment, I think, of that, of that top level as well, is that there's, it, it's not boring. Mm. Because you're, no. you're going to get situations that are, that are, you've never been in before. That is, I was going to ask you about that. Now, from being involved with decorating so long and crunching the numbers and looking at the data, when you now go to these big competitions, I mean, how are you looking at, I'm mean, sure you're going in and looking at things quite differently, like, or is it still the same? Like this is a, a five-star championships and I'm coming in and I'm working on my dressage and schooling, or do you look at it a little bit differently? Do, do different things go through your head than before you kind of knew the sport through a different lens? I mean, I'm so unemotional about things so like i can analyze uh like i even when i'm really disappointed about something like say the jumping around and in, in pretending but i can i i'll i'll just straight away just just put two and two and two and two together because there's a number of factors that are influencing it so no i like firstly i really enjoy it so because i have a because i have another job now i really enjoy riding in the the first half of the day up till about midday and and that time is really precious precious and and really really enjoyable so i i love my eventing and i love team eventing like for me to go to to championships and things like that really is the num number one priority it's not to it and and especially to do that job like i enjoy go i've been going out first for the team for the last couple of years as well the cross-country record is 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 good at championships and and i and i kind of take pride mm -hmm. in that i want to do that job so i really i so there's definitely a competitor in me i I want to be at those and I want to be successful at those. I definitely feel disappointment if it doesn't go right, but I will, everything is problem solving. Everything mm. from the dressage test to the, to the jumping, to the, to the cross country. It's all just, okay, this is, this is the challenge. How am I going to, and it all needs to have a process. And if I feel that we got something like a lot of the time, the process is working, particularly with this, the, the horse I have at the moment is not a, we uh, we've have a lovely eight, now nine-year-old coming through talisman bless him is is a is is he's a he's a handful mentally and he's he's i couldn't have solved him at any point in his life he's uh he's he wears his heart on his sleeve but he's not a massively talented athlete a aside from on cross country he is he's mm -hmm. but he's very very old-fashioned he's not the modern event horse at all so i know i'm up against it but you're just constantly trying is the process working is the is the test going the right way way and if i get a 30 like what i get a 37 or something at uh, the world championships which is a terrible score i know how bad it is for sure the analyst is going you're so far like you're actually going to be a run out probably behind laura Calder <laughs> or michael young so I, i'm fully aware of it but i can actually not be disappointed because i can be like Do you know what with with where that horse was with where the changes were the 14 changes that's that's progress and everything else we've got to work on so it's all it's the, mm. the process it's going in in the right direction for this horse and i managed to go into the into a world championship arena and ride the test 
fairly mistake kind of get mm. as much out of the horse that the horse was able to give which bodes well for the younger horses that can give a lot more and do have a lot more so that's important to me so i'm very i'm very analytical about it but i, I but i really enjoy it I really really uh, and it. did that change have you always been that analytical or from like when you were younger or now since all of this you can really map and be present with what progress is a real because it's not like you said earlier it's no longer this gray area emotion of this is good and bad it, you're just looking at it at what it is yeah no before before ratings <laughs> it was it was much more emotional to be mm. honest now i was younger mm. i was less experienced but no i would like like not going to london was a huge disappointment and then the, the mistakes that i'd had when i didn't do well it was disappointing but there was no there was far more emotion and way less structure and pro- you can go like how am i going to fix this and now don't get me wrong like i'd be trying really like i'd be i'd be driving hours and hours to go to dressage lessons i'd be off cross countries i'd be doing loads i'd be working hard i'd be making no money because any money i had i'd be going tra- training i'd be trying really really hard but not necessarily training as, as smart and kind of hitting the hitting the right things and it'd be more flahoot i'd be doing one mm. thing one time and then going oh, look, I think that's working or no, that's not working anymore. We need to try something else. Like, and it would just I'd be going from one thing to another thing to another thing and just kind of going around in circles. Whereas now I'm quite logical. Like even if we're now, if we have to change bits in a horse or do something like that for dress, I said, actually, because you, you kind of learn, like, why are we changing out of this bit now when he likes it? Well, and it's actually just going kind of going, okay, well, when this horse gets used to the same feeling in the mouth all the time, he then starts to sort of go back to leaning on it. And if you can just mm-hmm. change the feeling a little bit for him, it, it helps and it goes better. So it's still logical. There has to be a mm-hmm. reason. I don't like changing something and not understanding why I'm changing it. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice would you give for, because there's a lot of people riding now that it, it's just different. There's not, at least in the States, there's not, there's a handful of, yards that have 10 plus horses or 20 plus horses but you've got a lot of people with four or five horses or you've got adult amateurs that have one or two that they ride and then they go to work how would you advise working on that skill set and capitalizing on the time that you have there and not the hours in the tack i mean what what it, i mean you've said that in in kind of a broad umbrella but is, is there anything specific that you would say yeah <clears throat> it's so don't don't think too far ahead like the the Mm -hmm. any progress you make it's like it's like a it's like any kind of journey and the word journey is obviously it's such a cliche now enjoy the journey and all that kind of stuff which is something i (laughs) say a lot love laugh yeah there's loads (laughs) i mean we we reel them all off but literally if if you're if you're going somewhere it doesn't matter what the what it look where you're going where your destination is 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 all it's doing is giving you direction but you have to focus on the road in front of you You actually is like what are you doing right now in this moment that's all that matters because if you're not if you're looking too far ahead you'll just crash or you'll get you'll get you'll get lost you won't even know you're lost so but don't like but it is important don't put limits on yourself so i did for i i definitely thought oh i have to i have to do the best for with what i have and things like that which is true and in, in one sense you you do have to like that's it's a kind of an obvious statement but the thing about saying oh I'll, I'll do the best with the hand i'm dealt or something is you're kind of half surrendering as well yeah. i would say to anyone like look at <clears throat> i know i know it didn't go 
perfect for Andrew Hoy at the at this World Championships in Protoni, but he had a hell of an Olympic Games and a hell of a World Championships with Vasily Delasas. And he's he's at an I know he's vastly experienced, which stands to him, and he's learned so much. But with one horse, he would effectively. I mean, I need a couple a couple of others on the side, but he was he achieved an awful lot, and like he would kind of be my inspiration at the moment for some like a with longevity like there's no click and talk here click mm. and cl- uh, ticking clock <laughs> wow I was like, is, that, is that some irish thing he's speaking there's the yeah Sinead, i know you're a health i know you're you're like ah oh, i've i didn't i forgot those irish words whatever they were <laughs> yeah there's no ticking clock <laughs> Ticking clock, what a word! I can't believe that's a new one. There's no ticking clock. You can leave that in, folks. You don't have to I will. Yeah, I like that. And uh, so that's that's one mm-hmm. thing. And and then just so don't put don't put limits on yourself. Like this, as I said at the very beginning, this is a, this is all about training this sport. This is all about learning and without injuring your horses and going out tomorrow and suddenly going from doing like. 10 minutes of light hacking to now an hour of canter pose like that would be silly but you can you can build up with 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 a with a good training structure you can build up so that you're not you're not overloading your horses physically or mentally but you are training really smart with real purpose there's there were periods when i used to because we do it at events but there were there were periods where i rode the horses in the morning and the afternoon at home just because I kind of needed to, I needed the, the hours, but they were at it. They were, they were in a window. I kind of had, I was structuring the season so that they'd build up enough and, and they were fit enough and strong enough that I could do that. But it had me really sharp then to go out and compete, but it just didn't have as many horses as the people I was competing against. So you can do lots of smart stuff, get, get good. Again, access to, don't think of it just as trainers, like it's knowledge, like what you're trying to get is information mm-hmm. and knowledge to improve. You can get that from, any number of places you can get that online you can get that remotely i'm sure that has something to do with the podcast that i'm on uh access to training and access to i do remote i do i help people via zoom whether they're on a horse or whether we're just having a chat about things so anywhere in the world you could tra- if you love an australian per- trainer you you can train mm-hmm. with them the world is much again especially post covid we can do yeah. far more than we think so get access to that you don't just have to have and if you if at the moment you can only afford one lesson a month that's where you push yourself to go, well, how can I earn an extra few bucks mm-hmm. to get another lesson? And that's all part of the fun. Like that's what pushing yourself is about, like getting the extra job, doing the extra jobs around the place. If you're a, if you're a working student on a yard and there's five other students there and you all get your one or two lessons a week or whatever, like don't settle for being an equal. Go and slyly say to them, go on here, look, if there's a few extra jobs, can I get an extra lesson? I'll, like I'll bring remember, it for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I laid a road for, at, at least at Lucy Vegas Mars uh, yard when I was there. I I literally tarmacked their avenue for them. Yeah, uh, like that was proper. That was proper manually. I think that's the hardest I've ever. My hands were never the same. They're lovely and soft now. But they were, they got hard. They, I look like a fella who did a bit of manual work back then. Well, you got your lessons. You proved yeah, your worth. I got my lessons. Exactly. Mm, that's good advice. Okay. I'm going to move on to these questions that I sent you so that I don't keep you past the switching out. Okay. What is the biggest lesson a horse has taught you about yourself? 
I thought about this one and I was going to go with Bushman and patiently, but he was the one that was patient with me. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, like these horses are saints. Like he put up with all of my learn. Like I couldn't ride. He was my first five star horse. Like the mistakes that poor guy had to like talk about being inaccurate. Like he was the horse I was inaccurate on, but going around championships and uh, big fences, badmintons and burleys and championships. Yeah. Poor guy. So uh, I, I don't know what he taught me other than that. I love horses. The horse that actually, taught me something a little bit about myself, I think, was Arda Highlight, who came along. I bought him over the phone when I just, I'd been with Sparks about a, a year. Uh, Sparks, Hannah, Sparkles Watson, who's, who's my long-suffering wife of over 10 years. And we just, we yeah, we were in about our second year and our first full year of like running a business together because Sparks looks after the horses and I mess them up when I ride them and she looks after them. And uh, I was buying this horse over the phone, and she was like, "What? What are you? What are you doing? When are you? When are you going to try it? Like, have you booked flight?" And I was like, "No, we like it's literally deal done." She was like, "You've never seen it. You've never no." This Irish guy told me he's a good horse, and it, I'm going to buy it. So she was like, "Oh my god!" So the horse turns up, and and written on the passport is just the words Ben. So that the horse that we had bought was Arda Highlight, and we didn't know his stable name or anything. The significance of the horse being called Ben was that not long before, earlier that year, actually, Sparks' brother had died, uh, her only sibling, and he was about my age, and I'd actually never met him. He was in Thailand, had a heart attack, kind of young adults. It's a it's a kind of tragedy that can happen and happen, and he was fit. He was a skydiving instructor. He'd done like over 100 skydives, and it was really sad, and it was, kind of, it was something that is that it kind of happened while we were together and everything. And and when when you just see a passport and all it's, it's the only thing that stands out on it is just this kind of fairly blank looking passport and just Ben on it, you're like, well, that's kind of spooky. And then we open up the passport and try and find out more about this horse. And he has the exact same birthday as Ben. Oh my God. So the horse was born the same day as, as Ben. So not the same age because they yeah. were years, but the same, I think it's like 8th of February. I just got and chills. February, yeah and that's and february as well it's a really strange time for a sport horse to be born like yeah. early february like if it was a if it was a flat thoroughbred like that's about as early as they it's very very early but sport mm. horses are usually like may in in ireland yeah it's so wet so so you're like oh god that's an interesting coincidence now i'm not a religious person i'm i'm so logical and number driven and everything and then this horse turns out to be incredible like i'd obviously mm-hmm. not paid much money for him just because i was not not did not flushed with cash and to buy him over the phone having never seen or sat on the horse it obviously wasn't that much money and within we did a we did like a 100 a meter event unreal straight up to 110 did five of those events he won three of them and then i did a two then i went straight international but went like i did two intermediates again he i think he was second in one did a three-star international double clear and we sold him really really well and it was so important for us at that time in our lives to get a significant sale Mm. it was a real game changer it was a real breath of you feel like you're kind of suffocating at that point like you're running everything by braille you're like i don't know if i can pay next month's feed bill if i Mm. don't like i've got to go and teach a clinic organize a clinic teach a clinic so that was such a a massive moment we thought god this horse has been so important to us and so Mm. meaning such an important time in our life then like three years later I get a phone call and Annie who had bought Ben and done juniors was now going to university 
and wanting to kind of concentrate on university. And I had said when I saw them, like, I think this horse could be a five-star horse. And they just said, would you like to see if he's a five-star horse? And and that's the horse that within within a year, so he'd been doing juniors, within 12 months of me getting him back, he was second in a four-star long. And then the year later, he won the silver medal. He was sixth at Lemur mm. five-star, and he won the, and then he, he was on the silver medal team in Tryon. And he did it all in about 18 months. Like he was an unbelievable horse. Incredible. And I still have no, I'm still say like, there, it's just chance that he was called <laughs> and that his birthday is the same as Glenn. you in the face when you say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, but I can't, I can't believe, can't. I just, I, my, I just, my brain doesn't do spiritual it doesn't do this whatever. Is, so this like, is your learning this is yeah this is so your growth what this, what this horse taught me is that i am dead inside <laughs> i am, I am just i uh, have no soul <laughs> yeah yeah that's it so i can't get i can't get my head around anything that i cannot fully understand like fully see it written down this is the formula this is it so <sighs> As much as I, th- as much as I think it is lovely chance, it's like it's. I'm still going like it's still more likely than winning the lottery that a horse would have the same name and the same birthday. So yeah. I still like trying and that, that same career out. and and get yeah 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 and is yeah. meaningful for me. Totally. So anyone who is spiritual mm-hmm. is like screaming at the podcast, going, "You fool!" It is so yeah. clear that, that no, is they're like, "Oh, bless him." Um, poor poor soul <laughs> yeah he's gonna, he's gonna be so lonely and lost when he's an old when he, yeah. but that's what it that's what he that's the way the the way you frame the question and me i'm a thinker i'm gonna think about things i was like what mm. is the ta- the horse taught me about myself i was like it's a really deep question mm. so i you can tell i thought quite long and hard about the answer i appreciate that i like that was that was a long winding road sam yeah um, the next ones are quicker the next ones are way quicker. <laughs> no i love i loved it i hope the next one's a good i like irish stories do you have a favorite training or a competition mantra you reference regularly yeah so the, the training one comes from dad the training is don't practice until you get it right practice until you don't get it wrong hmm. i just think i think that is the key to to riding horses we think that because we have this huge moving living part, which is the horse. It's not a football. It's not a golf club. It's not a tennis racket. It's unpredictable living, breathing thing with its own thoughts that we think that, that the sport's far more complicated. What we need to do is we need to really simplify. If we are going to perfect performance with a horse, that is that. And that's when you look at, when you look at, at, at the really good people, I don't I think excellence is through simplicity done exceptionally well rather than Michael Young is wiggling his right ear with his left toe at the same time as doing like some twerking action with his right foot. It's that he's not what he's doing. He's just doing really... I would like to see him do that. I'm, I'm sure he can. He's yeah. a talented guy. Yeah. I think he likes a dance. I'm sure he can twerk <laughs> and wiggle his ear and his toe at the same time, but he doesn't when he's riding. Yeah. He just yeah. has, he, it's just simple training, uh, really done to a, done to a very, very high level. Simplicity done very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a piece of advice someone gave you along the way that you still reference today? Yeah, I'm, I already gave her a name check on the show at the point I was talking about actually, but Lucinda Green at my first European championships came up to me. I was having a cracking round on Bushman and the last combination into water 
was quite a big drop to a, a narrow skinny. It was catching quite a lot of people, but we were having a, a, a class round. And I just remember jumping down, looking up and going one, two, three, four, because I had, I had convinced myself that because it was a steep drop that he would do four strides instead of, it would have been a typically really long French three strides. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go for the long three. I'm going to do the four. And what I didn't do was ride off instinct. When you drop down into water and there was a little bit of a turn as well, you don't know exactly how you're going to land. You don't know if the horse is going to land and and back up and and look or if they're going to launch and they're just going to run with it and see a fence and be like, yeah, I'm going. Uh, and at the and Bushman, I, I, I would learn now that they tend to be, a lot of my horses would tend to maybe be a little more cautious early on and a little bit kind of more open late on. I mean, that's just physical as well. The stride gets longer the further you're into it. Anyway, I was holding for four, and I just drank, and then I would just stopped at the fence. It was like, you've basically just put, you've just gone like one, two, three, four, and just done a halt up the center line, halt salute in front of this bloody skinny fence. What are you doing? And it was all because I was counting. It's all because I was trying mm-hmm. to stick to the plan too much. And you've got to, the, the, the plan now is to, listen to the horse is to, is to be in the moment is to be present in the fence lands look like yes have your position right yes have your line yes have a have a good appropriate counter but then be present and be aware and roll with it go with it if you need to sit up if you need to go just just go with it make your decisions on the flight and don't panic about that don't don't mm-hmm. be so suffocated so lucinda's advice was strides are a long way down the list of priorities when it comes to cross country and mm-hmm. That's really important. And it's really important, to, I think, for people to hear that from someone who preaches accuracy so highly, particularly with regards to show jumping. And mm-hmm. I would say you need to have both. Both are in my weekly training plan. Counterpoles are in there a, a day to themselves, really get to work on me, also working mm-hmm. on the control and the adjustability of the counter, the straightness. There's lots of things you can work on while you're doing counterpoles, but that's a real day for me to be accountable and then footwork and 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 balance and rhythm and 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 the cross country the more natural cross country is a day as well when i'm not i don't even even when i build cross country fences i'm not going measuring it out really accurately to know what it is i'm purposefully like that's one of the important things that i do on my banks and and up and down terrain that i have in the field is i go and build lines and i don't let myself walk it and i ride my best horse first that i don't i have to and I, and I often won't use that. I'll go and warm up in other places. And then I'm going to, and I go down to a fence knowing that not even the course designer, because you kind of have, when you get to our age, we kind of trust in these course designers. We believe yeah. that they actually know what they're doing. Uh, and you would be like, they've got this. Whereas I'm like, no, I've just gone and plunked random things <laughs> in random spots. Yeah. That teaches you to, to just, to be present and, and, and be yeah. in that and kind of re- react and be instinctive. Yeah. Yeah, I've, Lucinda comes here a lot and I just love her. And it's we've had that conversation a lot because I agree with you, especially the last several years, the accuracy has become so important and to just kind of blow off strides. We've had some good conversations on that. But I think the lesson is exactly that. It's that being present in those moments. And if you're counting and you're thinking about what's going to be or what has been, or you're just not there. And any of the the rounds that have been great or the rounds that haven't, but you've gotten to the other side is normally because you show up at the right time and do the right thing without mm-hmm. thinking about it. You're not, you're not counting it. I can picture Lucinda storming across the field. <laughs> having Yeah. 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 Not a big, Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, all, what I needed at that point was a hug. What I got yeah. was advice yeah. that was so yeah. important. 
Uh, that's actually that's what I what I wanted. What I wanted was a hug. What but I that, needed. Yeah, not what you needed. You're like, where's my mom? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go find her now. Thanks, Lucinda. What do you do when you are seeking inspiration? What do I do? Oh, I love to. I love teaching. I really mm. do. I think that. I think it's so. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's a great source of of inspiration. To be. If you can, if you can solve problems for others, you'll you'll find a much better way to solve problems for yourself. And I think it helps you to, in order to teach, you you don't just learn something like we kind of learned in school, learned our table, learned our multiplications, or learned our whatever. You actually, in order to teach you, you actually need to understand what's going on. You can't kind of fake it, just repeat it and fake it and kind of be like, oh, I hope that was the right answer. I mm-hmm. think it was. You've actually got to understand it. And that's important for, for kind of high performance. But it's also important for, I think, like inspiration is a few things. It's not sometimes, it's not sometimes about being stuck and having a problem, being like, God, how do I get out of this? I think, I think nearly that's easier, a, an easier thing to solve because you, what you're trying to, you have a problem and you need to solve it. I think inspiration sometimes is when you find yourself a bit empty, being like, oh, what's my purpose? Do I love what I'm doing? Do I, um, am I good enough at this? Are we on the right path? Is this going to work? Or or sometimes not thinking anything at all, just kind of being a bit kind of yeah. going like, oh my God, like the last six months, I've just had no pep to my step. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm drifting. So I think that's I think one of the good, th- like, okay, I'm a YouTube, I go on YouTube and like, I, I like to look at things that way as well. Like, of course, I'm a seeking knowledge and stuff like that. But I, I think actually the best place I, I would, and I think, he, and I think it's a great thing to do as well. So like, not just, that doesn't mean you have to go and teach people how to ride horses. Like mm. that could be, that could be helping, like for someone like me, that could be helping kids with numbers um, mm. that could be so if you're good with languages that could be helping someone with languages like there's loads of people who need help and you have and whoever you are listening to this and probably whatever age you are like my kids are nine and ten they could teach other kids things as well mm-hmm. and I just think it's a really really good thing to do help someone else and I think you don't know I don't know how it'll inspiration yeah. will come from that but I I think it will and I, and I find it does for me Well, I think that is such an interesting thing to say, because some of the times that I've learned the most has been more through like peer collaboration, like doing these podcasts is so interesting because I get to talk to people like you and so many great people in the sport and in different levels and just shared experiences. Everybody kind of is is doing whether you're riding horses or you're working a corporate job or whatever it is that you're doing, sharing those experiences, discussing them and looking at them from a different perspective can be so gratifying on both ends that's really it is really inspiring um okay our last and final question have you had an experience or adversity separate from horses in your life that you feel has directly influenced you as a horseman i think that the business that that equi ratings really converted me to the to what i call the growth mindset versus the talent mindset i think equestrian sport is really guilty of being too talent based both with horses and but especially with riders because mm-hmm. horses do the horse is the real athlete here i don't say that like we're highly skilled like a like a golfer is incredibly skilled like how do they get the ball that close to the little hole from that far away like it's incredibly skilled but again how does michael young do all of that with the with the horse is what he teaches them all those things and do it also smoothly so 
I'm not I'm not doing equestrian athletes down at all. I think they're incredible people and for so many other reasons as well to make a business out of it and, and, and things like that. And the empathy with horses, I just love that as well. So not doing us down at all, but we're it's it's absolutely about that growth mindset where you can uh, learn and improve and it's just a process. You just gotta work mm-hmm. on that. But in business, business is all about the growth mindset. Like no, like the first thing they tell you in business is like the the idea is 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 like five percent of it and 95 percent of your business is actually making that happen which to an ideas guy like me is to the guy who thought oh what about numbers what what about like a a fantasy sports game for eventing or whatever i think i've i'm thinking i've got an idea i made this is amazing (laughs) um it's so and then when they tell you like that's that's not like the idea is nothing the idea is actually worthless to be honest you've now got to make that something i was like oh god you killed me here uh so business is all about learning all about growing all about and and there's a formula for growth growth is stress plus recovery whether you are that's how that's how you build muscles you go to the gym you stress the muscles then don't go to the gym or or, or certainly don't work your body as hard the next day because it needs to recover and that's when they grow things grow back up bigger and better because they've they've left the comfort zone now don't overstress yourself don't go and lift something that is so heavy that you completely injure your muscles. And this is what people don't get. So this is so relevant for mental health, like as in stress is not a bad word. Too much stress is bad, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean never, if you never leave the comfort zone, then you'll be very fragile. You know, Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll, you'll be be someone who does not take stress well because you've never, you've never exposed yourself to stress, but then you must recover. If you're having, if you've been through a tough time, you've had a tough time at work and things like that, then you need to, you need to step away from that. You can't keep stressing yourself. But that's the same, like, how does that apply to more knowledge-based stuff is you've got to put your, like, work can be taxing. Your brain, you can be like, oh, my God, like, this last week in work is, has been absolute hell. I've been, I, I didn't know how we were going to get through that. I didn't even know what to do for that client. Like, we had this problem. We get it all the time with, like, code, break, something just doesn't work anymore. And you're like, where is this broken? Like, we have mm-hmm. tons and tons of code. We've got to try and go and find a problem somewhere in the middle of all this. And it's stressful. But in that moment, in that in that tough where you've got to leave the comfort zone and put yourself under your your growing, as long as you don't do that again next week, as long as you can let yourself recover from that, you're now a you're now a more improved person from it. And it's the same with mm-hmm. training, your dressage lessons, your jumping. Yes, it was hard doing those those exercises that Lucinda had me doing, that that accuracy question that Sam had me doing, and he was relentless and he didn't let me get it wrong. And it, we had to practice until we not until we got it right, but until we didn't get it wrong. And it was really hard, but we got an easy day the next day. And then when we went back to do it again, yeah, we, we had grown, we were better. Mm-hmm. And I learned that growth mindset from mm-hmm. business, not from sport, but it applied. And I think that's probably the mm-hmm. main reason, like I'd love to say it's just decoratings and just numbers, but it was also what decoratings taught me as to why I then probably went through my best period in the sport around that mm-hmm. 2018 year. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not in the equestrian culture to not go 110% all the time. But I think, and I, but I think what's in our culture, which is, which is the problem. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We push ourselves too hard and then, and then we get, then it's just a mess. Like we're just, Mm -hmm. I think you guys have an expression, a hot mess. I don't know what it means, but I think (laughs) it's just just warmer here than in ireland okay okay (laughs) humidity sorry i was completely wrong yeah i got that it's very literal 
yeah, we just keep pushing ourselves too much. So we don't, yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's smart. That's what I mean by training smart. You've got to put in rest days. Otherwise, either you, either you are broken mentally or physically or your horse is broken mentally or physically mm. if, you're too, if you're too hard at it all the time. But, but the, the, the other side of that, that's not just the stress and rest balance. It's actually just the idea that someone who wants to embark on a career as a full-time rider, they might think, well, I mean, I'll never be Michael Young, but if I can be kind of, if I can make a living out of this, if I can sell a few horses and turn a few over, don't say that to yourself. No one is born different in this sport in terms of if you can ride, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be able physically to, to ride a horse and to, to be in some sort of balance in a horse, that's why kind of hunting is a good thing. If you can survive the day's hunting, you can probably become a top like in Ireland, if you can limit the amount of times you fall off to maybe three yeah. in a day's hunting in Ireland. And you if you don't survive, then you don't have to worry about it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so that's it. But whereas we, we look at what we do is we, is we look around at William Fox pits and at Laura Collett's uh, Boyd Martins and um, we go, Oh my God, they're just so talented. Mm-hmm. Like they've, they they're gifted they've got like look at those hands but in a way that we're like those hands were given from nature or from from depending on what your beliefs are you where where you got those talents from but they're not those talents are trained that's Mm. it end of in in that's my advice to people if you believe in anything else you're putting a hurdle in front you're putting an obstacle and you're putting a limit on yourself that you cannot control and i just don't believe it anyway i'm not just saying it to you to to take the to take the limits off yourself i'm saying it because i fully believe it yeah yeah wow there we go that's incredible i think we covered the full gambit of everything and i still have more questions but i i feel like you probably need to go to bed i really really appreciate this i think so many people are going to take so much away and i I appreciate your authenticity in in all of this for myself personally because i feel i can connect to a lot of what you said and just feeling that from somebody else that it's so easy, especially when everything's so accessible online, as far as the education base to also be looking at everybody else and using like a lot of judgment, looking at it through a different lens. Like I could never do that, or I'm not that this, or I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I'm too this or too that. So I think that's really, really awesome advice. So what, before I let you go, what's, what's next? What is, what's the big goal? What's the limitless goal for you? (laughs) I am, uh, we've been doing a lot so equity ratings is is becoming much busier in show jumping which is it's it's more of a challenge for us because we don't you know when you're in eventing as as a rider doors open easier for you so we're working and and i'm really enjoying like for us equity ratings is about how you follow a, a sport really like it's 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 information and insight and angles it's actually it's just content it's when you follow any other sport it's full of information that you can then discuss with your friend like opinions are 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 great like that's what that's what it's all about like we love opinions we love when people disagree with us we love when we go the top 10 rated horses going into this competition are and someone goes that's outrageous there's no way that number six on your list is behind number four on your list we love that but the the list is is made by an algorithm and the algorithm is, is the best objective way of doing it i disagree with the algorithm sometimes that's absolutely fine but the point is that you you become more of a student of the sport for, for everyone, like for fans. Like you talk to some football fans, I'm talking to 
different people about different sports now when i say the word football that means something different in the uk than it does in in, in the us but it's still a, a sport with a ball <laughs> when you watch ball sports and pretty much all sports at this stage golf tennis and all the rest there's just so much information and the fans are so passionate about it and kind mm-hmm. of studying it and whatever so we're trying to bring that to um to the equestrian sports because i think we have one of the most inspiring spectacles like there are a lot of sports where the actual like okay like, let's take the golf let's take hitting the ball into the hole you know there's a lot of skill and stuff but it's not that exciting mm. people on a horse jumping these incredible fences really exciting but you need to un- people need to understand what's going on and they also need not just understand what's going on in terms of the scoring system and how people win they want to know about these people they want to know like they want to know when when Michael Young has a rail in hand at Aachen and suddenly he doesn't win it. That's so relevant, not just because that guy didn't win. It's because like this is the this is the best ever in the sport on the horse who just smashed the five star finishing score record. By the way, the best score we've ever seen in this sport in Kentucky. He's now come out at Aachen. We haven't seen him since. This is the world record holder, double Olympian, the guy who's won everything. With this winning margin, it's so unlikely that he's that he's going to lose this. Boom, it happens. And that's what we're trying to quantify. It's going like, that is that is shock and that is surprise. So look, doing doing that in jumping. Jumping is a hard sport mm-hmm. to follow. So many good riders, so many good horses, so many big events every week that it's like, it's hard to follow the sport. And we're, we're trying to make that easier for people. So we'll be busy. I'll be busy with that. I have a couple of horses here that really excite me. A couple of young horses that... Uh, rocket man as well who who would have a chance potentially at paris next year talisman will probably go to burley it's been a long time so it's fact i've only been to burley once and it was your year it's the 2012 year so it's a long time just throwing the numbers out okay your numbers guy this is why i can't talk you're like i know i know well that's exciting so burley you thought about retiring no I'm like no. I don't want to. After that, inspir- after feeling inspired five minutes ago, I thought it just better. I, don't, I know it's I a pendulum like swing. It just yeah. moves both directions. Very separately. <laughs> it's not well. It is early enough or late enough to have some wine here. I forgot what I was gonna. Oh, Burley, Paris. Yeah, and just and I. I enjoy that. I, I guess my my mindset with the with the like the five year olds in the yard, like four year olds just turned five five now, is I guess the new. I've, I know I'm in my mold and my comfort zone as kind of riding because Rocketman would be the same. He's a very very thoroughbred type horse, an old fashioned mm. horse. I actually think there's a bit of a gap, and I think if you want to, um, I, I think our five star horses are are struggling. Uh, to be honest, Badminton and Burley, only one horse inside the time at Burley. Our five stars have been on good ground. There was a bit of rain at Kentucky last year, but it, it probably came late enough that I don't think you could fully blame the rain for for the for the influence of the cross country and stuff. But all of our five stars have been on good ground for like basically back since 2014, which was the carnage year of, of WEG. But Badminton and Burley that year were all, it was just a really wet year. Mm-hmm. So the point being... I think our dressage has gone through the roof. I do think our scoring system is completely wrong. The fact that we have one phase where you can get ahead 
mm. which is the dressage. So everyone is focused on that. We now have dressage horses really dominating the sport and we're trying to make dressage horses go cross country rather than train cross country horses to do dressage. So the where I would go have gone against the grain a little bit going, if I'm only going to have a couple of horses, I want to go to badminton and burley. Mm. Uh, so my younger horses are much more, th- they're really, they're, 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 re- they're nearly full thoroughbred. Like, mm. and I actually have one full thoroughbred that I'd be excited about as well. And I've been looking for that type of horse because mm. I think they will, probably the championship is going to be tougher. I think the championships now are a four-star cross country, not five-star. And I think if there was ever, if conditions were ever going to be present a really tough cross country, that they'd, they'd either shorten the course or they'd take fences out, yeah. they'd do something to make it softer. But badminton and burley are still a proper test. But I, but my goal is with the younger horses is there's no excuses. It's to kind of embrace that growth mindset myself. They move well enough and they jump well enough. Like for, for me, there's no difference to them and and a horse like Libby Aesthetic Sam starting off. So the only difference is going to be, can I train as well as Michael Young? And mm. for me, that's just training. It is just training. It's can I, mm-hmm. can you, can you create a really good training system, really apply yourself diligently? And that's what I'm going to try and do with the young horses. And hopefully they, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying like, oh, LA Olympics, I'm going to, I'm not thinking anything like that. Like, I just think like I'm focusing on their five-year-old year. I'm just being like, yeah, yeah the 100s, mid-20s dressage. That's yeah. not usually what I do, but there's no reason why I can't do it. So I'd be I'd be having dressage lessons now with my young horses, whereas mm. in the past it would always be, I'll ride the horses until they're eight. I'll basically make them irreparable, and then I'll <laughs> then I'll then I'll go for help. Then I'll be like, Tracy, could you give me a hand here now? And she'd be like, Could you not come five years ago? <laughs> so you're growing, you're growing. Yeah. You're getting. <laughs> that'll be a fun journey, though. That'll be that'll be fun. Uh, awesome well i look forward to following your journey and follow the ecoritans journey i think in the even for you even for i know yeah. i'm t- probably talking to a lot of eventing people yeah uh, i know that jumping i've i've found it's it's a it's a it's a cool sport watching geneva watching Aachen. we get to be there at Aachen. how how cool. how like cliff notes like how are you how would we follow there like how what are you doing who are you working who are you working for <laughs> Like, how are you addressing the show jumping? We work, we work a lot with the shows themselves. So like okay. we, we work, now that is to get content. That's to basically tell the story. Who's here? Who are the first timers? But who are the ones that have brilliant form at the venue? Who are the ones that are in brilliant form? Like King Edward on his way up, you recognize him now when he's the world champion. And I know he's gone, gone well at the Olympics and stuff like that. But telling that story so people mm. can, can learn about these horses there's an incredible nine-year-old in the world right now. Well, he's not, he's 10 now because we're in January. But James Can Cruz, ridden by an Irish rider, he's hitting rating that really only Explosion and Big Star hit when mm. they were nine years old. And they both were individual Olympic champions. Like this horse has a bright future. So you're trying to get that, you're trying to get people excited. Going, oh, this is happening, is it? Because not mm. everyone knows that about this. And you're just trying to, there's so much quantity and volume in jumping that you have to, sift through it all and try and give people the bite-sized information going i'm not telling you to change your life around and cancel your sundays so that you can now watch grand prix in show jumping but you can listen to the ecoratings jumping podcast you can follow ecoratings on instagram and uh and get our get our kind of little snapshots and insights going through and it's just like oh i know what's going on because it's a good for event riders if you can watch that a little bit more Mm. but there's a lot of synergies with what we do 
mm-hmm. and just being in touch with that sport. But it can be quite a hard watch. It's a hard to watch a Grand Prix with 40 people jumping the exact same course if you don't know any of no, the horses. Yeah, 100%. We've got, uh, have you, you have you been here to the World Equestrian Center in Ocala? I haven't been over, but I'm, I'm probably over in February. Oh, perfect. Well, it, there'll be Grand Prix going on it, and it's incredible. And But even watching, going and watching there, it's so exciting when you when someone's local or someone and you're, you go and you really watch, but I've turned on, there's so much access to so much show jumping and I've turned it on at home thinking, okay, I'm going to watch and learn, but it just goes blurry when you don't know anything, yeah. when you yeah. don't know anyone, you can't connect anything. I mean, we could watch eventing all day long because we know everyone. So that's, and, you, that's and, and, you're, and you're looking at it going, oh my God, that, that person's really improved or, mm. oh God, they're not going as well as they were last week. You know, what's going on there? <laughs> So yeah. and that's kind of the you're you're watching it with all mm. of this intrinsic in, mm-hmm. knowledge going on, and you're just trying you're just trying to enlighten people a little bit and yeah, and help them to get into it because it's it's good fun. It's good fun once we're in it. That's exciting. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and give us a holler when you're here. That's what we say in the south. A holler. Give us a holler. It's not like a yodel. Is that similar to? <laughs> Sounds a little different. A holler normally like you follow it up with like some shotguns and stuff, but or you could just okay. give a phone call or a yodel. A yodel will work. Do I bring you... a gun with me through the airport? I, no, uh... we have plenty. We have plenty okay. here. Don't I'll get worry. one when I land. Yeah. <clears throat> and don't... I just point it into the sky when you're on a horse. And it'll be your your specific calling. Yeah. We'll okay. find you. <laughs> awesome. Look for the Irish right. guy with the shotgun and the yodel at. Uh, yeah, at you'll, you'll, the jail is really close. We'll come and find you. Okay. No. Nope. Bail me out. I hear that's a thing in the US as well. Bail. Yeah. That, bail. That's what yeah. we do with our boat. That's what we do when we go fishing in Ireland. We bail out the boat. That's when you take the water <laughs> out of the boat. We live in two different worlds. Mm. We do. We do. I am uh, like my training system. Simple. That's me. <laughs> I would use a different word. All right. It's been great talking to you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before you go, I just want to let you know more about Ride IQ. At its core, Ride IQ gives everyone access to instruction from the best equestrian coaches in the world. It might sound impossible, but with Ride IQ, you get access to the private mobile app that has hundreds of on-demand, listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top riders and coaches in eventing, hunter jumpers, and dressage. Here's how it works. You look through the app and choose a lesson based on your horse or a skill you're working on. There are lessons for green off-the-track thoroughbreds and nervous horses horses and horses that are behind the leg, as well as lessons that teach every stage of skills like shoulder in or trot lengthenings. Then you tack up and press play and you have a top coach like Doug Payne or Leslie Law or Gina Smith in your ear guiding you every step of the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcast app. The best way to support the podcast is to become a Ride IQ member at ride-iq.com. And when you do, we hope you're excited to see that Instride is just one of multiple podcast shows on the app, including hack chats, conversations with coaches, and more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you during the next episode.